0: Susan, would you like to read this love poem? Love poem. This love poem. Uh, This is George Herbert. So first of all, welcome to everyone. This is a poem by George Herbert uh, called "Love," and it introduces us to the to the mystery of. uh, of the Eucharist that we celebrate uh, today, at the beginning of the Easter Triduum.
1: Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here. Love said, you shall be he. I, the unkind, ungrateful, oh, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand, and smiling did reply, who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. But know you not, says love, who bore the blame? My dear, then I will serve. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I could sit and eat. Thank you.
0: So I thought we could uh, could reflect today upon the... uh, the Eucharist, and uh, share some reflections with each other about what it, what it means to us. Because the Eucharist, although it is the great <coughs> sacrament, the great sign of, uh, of union with Christ, and of our union, unity, and friendship with each other, it, uh, it has carried or taken on a, a lot of baggage over the years as well. It's become a source of division and conflict and uh, confusion for people. And and this poem by by, uh, Herbert um, very simply but very deeply um, suggests how something as simple as love uh, can create such complex uh, resistance and and uh, feelings in us. Uh, the poem begins with love b- bidding him welcome. But my soul drew back guilty of dust and sin. So there's something in us all, some guilt, some shame, some feeling of unworthiness, and sometimes our religious training has, has worked on that and 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 made that uh, excessive so that we end up in a kind of self-rejection, which this poem is is about in a way. It's about the conflict between being welcomed, being accepted, being embraced, being invited, and pushing that back, resisting it guilty of dust and sin, Uh, dust because we feel, well, dirty, or we feel earthy, or we feel too gross to accept this great gift, and sin, just the accumulation of of all the mistakes we've made. But quick-eyed love, so love is very quick and observant. Observing me grow slack, observing that I was pulling back. Just as I was about to go in, just as I was about to accept the invitation, the welcome, uh, I I grew slack. And love, however, drew nearer to me. So as I drew back, love actually comes closer to me, sweetly questioning. So it's not accusing us, it's not uh, putting us down, it's not making us feel ridiculous, uh, but sweetly, gently, kindly, lovingly uh, asking. And it's asking, not, not judging. And what does, it, what does it ask? It says, do you want something? Is there something missing? You know, uh, is, is, are you lacking anything? And... Love, I mean, the the poet, that's us, replies, kind of a guest worthy to be here. So what I lack is the worthiness to be uh, at the meal that you are inviting me to join. Uh, I'm just not as good as the other guests. Uh, I, I'm not dressed well enough, or I, I don't have as good uh, a, a line of conversation as the others, or I'm not as uh, interesting a person as as the others are. So I'm just not worthy, really, to be there. Uh, I don't have the worthiness to be a good guest, and love says... You, you do. You shall be this guest. So uh, it, it just love continues to uh, confront this force of resistance or self-rejection that uh, is part of <coughs> the dark side of the, of the human psyche. And we reply, the poet replies, I? You really think I'm the, this guest that you really want, if you only knew what I was like? I, the unkind, so I'm not even a nice person, if you really knew me. The ungrateful, so I, I know what you're, what you're offering me, but I don't even feel gratitude for it, because my, my self-rejection is, is stronger than the, uh, the gift you're offering and the, the, the gratitude I should naturally feel. The word Eucharist, and this, this is a very Eucharistic poem, of course, uh, the word Eucharist in Greek means thankfulness or thanksgiving. We give thanks. <laughs> And giving thanks could be just formal, you know, you, as children, you were told to write a a note of thanks to the mother of the child whose party, birthday party you went to or something, we we sort of give thanks in that formal uh, way, but to live with a thankful heart is a very different thing, to feel... the the thankfulness of our being. I think as soon as we get out of doing and thinking and we touch this experience of contemplation that we've been talking about, as soon as we just realize that we do have this capacity to be and silence and solitude allow us to discover that, then thanks a thankfulness thankfulness follows automatically you don't have to be formal about it you don't have to try to be thankful uh, you are it's 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 as soon as we awaken to the gift of our being we're thankful so the poet here is saying i, I you know i'm not even capable of thankfulness of gratitude and I, c- I can't even look on you. I can't even be with you. I can't even look at you. I'm just so isolated, so cut off, so lost in my, my dust and sin. I can't look at you. So again, another attempt to sort of push back. Leave me alone. And love took my hand. So again, love moves towards us, uh, not giving up. Love took my hand. So now there's actually you know, some more, uh, it's not just words, it's actually uh, contact. And to take someone's hand, what does that mean? You take their hand to lead them. You take their hand to show companionship, friendship, like President Trump with Mrs. May, <laughs> uh, or because you're frightened of uh, walking down steps. Uh, so you, you, take, uh, you take someone's hand. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an, an intimacy. Uh, you're breaking or you're crossing a kind of a barrier if you do that. Love took my hand, and smiling. Smiling. So a smile says a lot more than words can. And smiling said, Well, you say you can't even look at me, but who made, who gave you the capacity to see? I, have, I am the source of your vision. You couldn't see me if it weren't for me. But the poet is absolutely resistant. This is this is taking years and years of therapy uh, to get through this. And so this is uh, five lines, but this is twenty-five years of of uh, therapy, uh, two hours a day. Truth, Lord, yes, yes. But I, you did make my eyes, you did give me this gift of being, but I have spoiled them. Truth, Lord, but I have marred them. And look at all the things I've done with my eyes and all the ways I failed. So just let my shame go where it deserves. So just, you, you know, stop running after me. Stop calling me, stop holding my hand, stop trying to uh, convince me that that I am really loved by you. So just let me go in my shame, in my self-rejection, off to wherever I deserve. And do you not know, says love, and know you not, says love, who bore the blame? So here's a big twist in the argument. And it's exposing the the dynamic of redemption and of forgiveness. Because love here is not denying that there is blame. Love is not saying, oh, you're really perfect. He's saying, yes, of course, you have made mistakes. Of course, you are sinful. Of course, you are dust. And you are eff- affected or disabled by your, your shame. But who bore the blame? I, who carried that? Who carries that um, burden that you're carrying? You're not, in fact, carrying it on your own. Somebody else has lifted it off you, if you could see that. So then it's as if the poet says he can't really argue any more with that. the person is saying, I'm not worthy. And love is saying, well, you may not be worthy, but I'm making you worthy. Lord, I am not worthy to receive you under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. So he's not arguing about whether you are worthy or not or or whether, um, you know, you've made mistakes or not. But he's saying it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because that's been taken care of. You've actually paid off that debt so you can start living again. So then, the uh, we say, or the poet says, "My dear, well, thank you, uh, my dear." Then I will serve. Okay, I'll come to the. Uh, I'll come to the meal. Because now we begin to see that it's a, it's an invitation to a meal. Uh, so I'll I'll come, but I'm not really still worthy to sit at the table like a proper guest uh, I'll 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 serve I'll stay in the kitchen and I'll, I'll just bring the food out uh, I'll do the washing up afterwards you know so that's that's I'll come but you know that's how I'll come and then the final uh, the final response of love is quite strong, insistent. Now there's a a commandment, you know, the person's uh, resistance, our resistance has been worn down by this uh, dialogue, which has taken 25 or 30 years. Uh, The resistance has been worn down, and uh, all that's left is the final, (laughs) you know, the final coup de grace, and... uh, and the command. So now love says, you must sit down, says love. So you're not going to be there running around serving and still half locked into your sin and self-rejection. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. Meat is also could be, just means food. So you, you're actually going to sit, and you will enjoy this food. Whether you like it or not, <laughs> you are going to do this. And then the final line is this sort of uh, surrender, really. He's, he just says, so I did sit and eat. So it's a beautiful... Um, and uh, Simone Weil uh, came across this poem at a critical moment one Easter uh, that she was spending uh, at Solem Monastery in France before the war. And um, somebody gave her this poem. And Simone Weil was a, quite a, a conflicted person psychologically. Uh, great soul and a great intellect. but. Um, uh, quite a difficult psyche, and uh, so she she was enraptured by this poem, she said, because uh, it it summarized everything uh, that she uh, was going through in this, in that stage in her journey of faith. And so she learnt the poem off by heart, she said, and repeated it to herself. Uh, Many times, and you don't get a poem unless, almost really, unless you learn it by heart and have uh, made it part of you. So uh, it's a very, it's a simple poem, but very it has a great drama to it. Of course, this dialogue and this this uh, uh, conflict between between love and the ego, love c- calling uh, the ego to simply let go, to surrender, to, to accept the, the gift, the unconditional gift. So I think it's, uh, it's a beautiful poem to, to reflect on on uh, Holy Thursday. Um, at the liturgy this evening, will be um, celebrating the uh, the first Eucharist that Jesus uh, incorporated into or d- transformed the uh, traditional Jewish meal. If you've ever been to a a Passover meal or a, even a, fr- a Friday night uh, uh, Sabbath. Uh, meal with a Jewish family, you'll realize that it really is a meal. There's a ritual to it, but it is about a family coming together, and they light two candles. I had a Jewish friend once who came to a mass uh, uh, in the community, and she said, um, she said it was it was so like what we do at home. Uh, you know, the two candles, the bread, and the wine, and the the blessing, uh, "Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation." Exactly the same words as they will use in a Jewish, uh, a Jewish ritual meal like that. So um, it's important, I think, first to remember, although we've we have have elevated the Eucharist, of course, into a great mystical sacrament, and uh, but in doing so, we often have distanced it from us and um, for a long time people went to mass but they didn't feel worthy to go to communion and uh, because you might do that once a year that was the rule that you had to go you had to go once a year but the rest of the time you know devout Catholics anyway uh, would often feel Um, that they were not in a state of grace. They'd done something wrong. And if they hadn't been to confession the night before, Saturday night, then they weren't worthy to go to communion. So so this, somehow or other, this invitation of the Eucharist to come, despite the fact we're unworthy, uh, was lost. And the, and the Eucharist became a reward for being good. And you had to be, you know, you had to be healthy in order to go to hospital. And it would be like going to a hospital and say, "Oh no, you're far too sick to come in here." <laughs> 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 so we somehow we 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 really lost it. And you can't lose it completely because it, it is it does have its own reality, its own. A mystery in its own, its own life, the Eucharist. But we certainly certainly uh, tried as, as far as we could to, to ring it around with uh, too much um, formalism, too many rules and regulations, too much fear. You know um, even now if you're giving out communion and you drop the host you know, and it touches the ground. So the traditional Catholics always are going to feel like God, oh, this is, you know, there's going to be an earthquake now, or you know, God's going to strike you dead. You know, I, I, or e- even when I was a boy, you know, I remember at first communion. You were told not to not to chew on the on the bread. So that's why you had this very thin little host, which then dissolved, thankfully. And then if sometimes it didn't dissolve, it would get stuck at the top of your (laughs) (laughs) palate. And uh, so the amazing thing is, is that through all of that overwriting and and over-regulation, and somehow or other, the... The spirit of the of the of the sacrament. I mean, the spirit of that invitation somehow got through. Maybe it didn't get through to everyone, and a lot of people did uh, uh, stop going to church and uh, just felt that the whole thing was really too much and too complicated and too. Um, bound up with, uh, with guilt and formalism and so on. But um, I, I think in, in recent times, certainly in the Catholic uh, tradition, uh, there's been a, a big change in that and putting it into English. The new translation is pretty awful. Uh, and the new translation was an attempt to, to go back Sort of, somebody once said to me, quite a high up person, said um, I, I was complaining to them about this uh, new, new translation, English translation of the mass, and uh, he said, well, we wanted to avoid the language of the barbecue. So, <laughs> well, he felt that the pre the, the the previous translation into English was too familiar. I would hardly say it was, it was bar- barbecue uh, language, but anyway, that was what they felt. So, um, but I think uh, there's no really no real going back uh, to that hope uh, to that uh, time where the Eucharist was not seen primarily as an invitation to a healing experience, but was seen as um, a, as, a, uh, well, as, as, as something you had to be worthy of, and you were not really worthy of, and something that needed to be distant and formal. So there's a balance in this, but it's the balance that we find very naturally, I think. I was having dinner with my, some cousins of mine in Dublin the other day, and the children All come home from school, some of them from work or college, and uh, the meal was was being prepared and got onto the table, and the table was laid. There was a ritual there. It was it was a a a form wasn't it was formal in that sense that they did this every night. But what was important was that the form allowed them to gather. You know, they weren't just um, in their rooms and coming down and taking some food and taking it back to their room. Uh, There was a, 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 a gathering and and time to talk about the day or to speak with the the guests, guests that were there and so on. So it, it was a meal, but it was a sacrament as well. It was a, something very holy, in fact. And uh, holy and domestic at the same time. Something that's been lost in a lot of modern culture where families don't have time anymore to to sit and eat together and to do so in that relaxed but f- but... Uh, formal way. So, uh, I think we are uh, perhaps recovering this uh, understanding of the Eucharist. Of course, it's it's d- different in the way we we do it in a church. If you have, you know, m- more people than you have sitting around a dining room table, and you have a church, and you have ecclesiastical architecture and and the trappings of, of the religious um, environment. It's different, but it's different from sitting in a small group of, of people celebrating, listening to the readings, talking about the readings, taking some time to, to be quiet, not looking at your watch, not doing the 20-minute mass that gets the, the obligation down and out of the way. Uh, so, taking the time and then meditating after communion. Well, that's a very different experience. That's much closer to the Last Supper and to a family meal or to a meal, to, to a religious ceremony, which is also uh, a meal celebrated with friends. So, we celebrate the Mass in different ways, in different situations. But the essence of it is is the same, I think. Um, and its relationship to meditation is very important for us, because it's, it's when we recover the contemplative dimension of our faith, when we listen to Jesus' teachings on prayer and we realize that he is teaching us to pray in a contemplative way, and that this is not secondary, but primary. That to be a follower of Jesus is to put this contemplative teaching alongside the teaching of to love our neighbour, to come to the aid of those who need us. Uh, that, that that this is central to the um, to our identity as and to our relationship to to Jesus in faith. So. Um, As soon as this contemplative awareness of our faith begins to awaken, and it awakens, I think, uh, in through meditation, as this morning, earlier this morning, we had a little ceremony in my house in our meditation room. Uh, We were receiving, actually we were receiving Paul as an oblate novice of our community. And we were also receiving two Belgian uh, meditators online uh, as postulants they were beginning their uh, journey as oblates of of the world community and one of them said how how meditation some years ago had actually given her a a belief in god She, she she was coming You know, from that distance, she didn't even believe in God or or know what God meant or so So that it was meditation that awakened that basic experience and basic uh, faith knowledge for her. And the rest then followed from that, clearly. And then she came to Christ. So the contemplative uh, experience is essential, I think, for our understanding the Eucharist and to celebrating it in the appropriate way. When we celebrate it tonight in the church on the island, we'll, we'll respect the environment and the people who are there, and it's different from celebrating it with a few people around a ta- around a small table. But the reason that this contemplative awareness awakens us to the real meaning of the Eucharist is, I think, that it's the same experience of presence. So when Jesus says, take take this bread, it is my body, and eat, take this wine and drink, it is my blood, this is very strong language and quite controversial language uh, in its day. Uh, shocking language. We don't go around. We're not cannibals. Um, but w- what, what, is, what is the purpose of putting it so strongly and almost offensively? It's, it's what is he saying? It's saying this is my presence this, and real presence. It doesn't mean some abstract, dogmatic, uh, doctrinal uh, abstraction. Real presence, I mean, real presence means you're really present. You're there, present to the people you're with. Whether they are fully present to you or not, you are present to them. And you remain present to them. to the degree of, to their capacity, according to their capacity to to see that. But you don't withdraw and become absent because they don't fully understand that you are present to them. And you may may be absent to them for these reasons that George Herbert describes in, in the poem because you don't feel worthy, because you're isolated, because you're locked into yourself, or because you're still trapped in the traumas of your past. So there may be very understandable and forgivable reasons for you not being there in the same way that, that Christ is there for us. But that doesn't mean, as the poem shows, that he withdraws. So take as long as you like. And you don't have to feel guilty about feeling guilty. (coughs) And eventually, if you stay open to it, if you want to stay open, eventually, you know, your resistance begins to break down. And you can become present to the one who is present to you. And that's what real presence means. It has to be, eventually, It has to be reciprocal. We're present to each other. And that's difficult for us, because we get distracted. My cousin uh, has a rule at the table every night that the children are not allowed to bring their mobile phones, because otherwise they would be only half present. They'd all be looking at their, if, if they weren't the, center of the conversation at that moment, they would feel, well, uh, what am I doing here? Then they'd take out their phone. So being present means that you have to endure the fact that you're not always going to be the center of attention, but you are still present. You're still there. It's one of the reasons that when, you, when novices uh, start living in monastic community or religious community, um, they will often say the m- most difficult part of the life is the recreation time together in the evening. It's just <laughs> hanging out together, you know, in the, in a f- having c- coffee or something after, after the evening meal, for example. They'll often say that's really awkward and just don't feel comfortable with that. Because it seems too formal. Also, I think sometimes because they're not performing, they're not the centre of attention, and they're not used to it. They haven't they they haven't had those kind of evening family meals uh, over the years, which make us comfortable with being with a group and not necessarily being the center of attention the whole time, but enjoying the presence that we are and have for each other. That's what real presence means, I think. So the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist can't be different, essentially, different form, different expression, But the real presence must be the same presence as the presence we find in meditation. And if it wasn't, it would be very strange. And if it is the same (coughs) presence, then we've discovered something very wonderful. We've actually broken through into the meaning of Christian faith and what the words of Jesus mean and what Easter means and what resurrection means. We've got it, the presence in my heart, even when I'm distracted and not present, and sending text messages in my head during the meditation. But that real presence that I know and feel to be within me is the same presence that I can share in and uh, and, and express and celebrate with other people when we when we go to church or when we sit around the table and have mass together in that way. So there's a lot more we could say about the um, about the Eucharist, but I think it comes down to this to this experience of of being present. And unless we can be present to ourselves, and that's those times of solitude, those times of silence that we saw Jesus going into uh, regularly throughout his life, the same times of silence and solitude we practice in meditation on a daily basis. Unless we have that experience of being present to ourselves in the present moment, It's going to be very difficult for us uh, to understand what that invitation means. Love, bade me, welcome. It's the presence of love that is welcoming us and urging us and pulling us simply to become closer and closer to it until we interiorize it, until we eat it. And that's the symbolism of the communion. To go to mass without sharing in that communion, without physically ingesting it, is 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 incomplete. And uh, the Eucharist is seen as the is seen as the um, completion of Christian initiation. which is true, but there's a danger that we, there's always a danger that we um, wring it around too much and we need to be a little less hung up about, about that, I think. And if you think of, of the Last Supper, who was there? Well, Judas was there for one. <laughs> And we uh, don't see Jesus saying, here is communion, here is my, my body and blood, but not for you. you. know. He knew he was going to be betrayed. Was Judas in a state of grace? Well, apparently not. But was he excluded from the, t- from the table or the communion? No. In the same way when you have a family meal, like the other night, um, you know it's the family meal, but the family meal can welcome other people. <coughs> it can welcome a guest. And bl- that blesses and uh, enriches the guest, may make you know. So anyway, I, I'm not saying that we, we don't need a certain formality and certain, certain guidelines. But I think we most of all need to see the Eucharist as a way of presence. And unless we are present to ourselves, and that's the contemplative experience, it will be difficult for us to understand fully what a gift the Eucharist is and why it is uh, in itself a thanksgiving. It, it, it awakens this spirit of thankfulness within us. And it's not thankfulness in the sense that you've been rewarded for something. Oh, thank you so much for giving me this diploma or giving me this check. But it's the thankfulness of being. Thank you. I am thankful for the basic gift of being. Not of having anything, but just of being. That's what thankfulness means, and that's what we get, I think, in this experience of presence. And just there was a little short uh, description of the Eucharist from uh, the very early church from the s- probably from about 150 a.D <coughs> Uh, from Justin Martyr, and it just it just describes, uh, the, you know, how the, how they saw and celebrated the Eucharist uh, in the very early church, and um, we'll recognise some of the essential elements, but what we see here are the this, the simplicity of it. On the day we call the day of the sun. Sunday, all who dwell in the city or country gather in the same place. The memoirs of the apostles and the writings of the prophets are read as much as time permits. When the reader has finished, whoever he who presides over those gathered admonishes and challenges them to imitate these beautiful things. Then we all rise together and offer prayers for ourselves and for all others, wherever they may be, so that we may be found righteous by our life and actions and faithful to the commandments so as to obtain eternal salvation. When the prayers are concluded, we exchange the kiss. And the kiss of peace uh, in the early church, was a kiss on the lips. Because, and there was a, uh, because you were sort of exchanging breath. So it, was very, it was very physical. You still see it, and you know, sometimes, I don't know, Russian leaders, or Chi- not Chinese, I think, but anyway, Russian leaders sometimes still do that um, kiss on the lips. Uh, then, became a little more Problematical and, and fears of hygiene, I suppose. And then there was a, a little a cross or an object which was, what was it called, um, which became, which you kissed, and then you handed it on to the next person and they kissed it. So then, a few hundred thousand years later, it became um, like a rather chaste hug. And then Shaking, and then nothing, for a few hundred years, and then uh, shaking hands, and then, uh, or doing this in a, in, in the East, uh, or just nodding uh, to the people around you, pretending how 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 far uh, how how, how Far south you are, how Latino you are. So anyway, when the prayers are concluded, we exchange the kiss. Then someone brings bread and a cup of water and wine mixed together to him who presides over the assembly. He takes them and offers praise and glory to the Father of the universe through the name of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And for a considerable time, he gives thanks that we have been judged worthy of these gifts. So the the prayers would have been much more spontaneous uh, than our concept of reading from the Missal and getting the words right. When he has concluded the prayers and thanksgiving, all present, give voice to an acclamation by saying, Amen. When he who presides has given thanks, and the people have responded, those whom we call deacons give to those present the eucharist bread, wine and water, and take them to those who are absent, to the sick. So, very familiar, but something very uh, relaxed and... Something sacred but also very relaxed and domestic in a way about this early Eucharist. Okay.